right, if you will, take your copy of God's Word and turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 9 as we continue our series. This is the second message in the series, Unto Us, a Son is Given, a Savior is Here. And we're going to be looking again at Isaiah 9 chapter, I mean, uh, chapter 9 verse 6. And that, the worship team, what you led us in just now, was just spectacular, worthy is your name, because today we're going to be looking and considering the name of God, Mighty God, and in the relationship to the light that he brings into this world, the light that he brings into to our lives, but Mighty God, and you know, it would be so easy just to get our Bibles and kind of be really routine about it, and we come in here, leave, we could look at what God's word says about this Mighty God, and not even be in the slightest bit impressed. I hope that doesn't happen. Not because of anything that I would say, but as we were singing there, and I know we have the, the, uh, the, the benefit of modern technology and instruments and amplification and everything else, but while I was sitting right down there when we were singing that Worthy Is Your Name, and it really ramped up, and I was feeling the vibration coming off. And I, what it made me think about right away is as I saw, talk about mighty God, I'm like, okay, in a sense, this is man-made because we have the amplification, the speakers, and all that stuff. But a day will come that's given to us in Revelation chapter 4 where all the hosts of heaven, and it says, and they did not cease to say, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God who is, who is for t- today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is worthy and kept cl- proclaiming that in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb of God. And we'll be one day in the presence of those who, by the way, apparently, according to God's word, are doing it even now. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. That mighty God. And what's so significant today, and when we consider that mighty God, worthy of praise, that we will be joining the hosts of heaven one day in, in proclaiming that, is the fact that that mighty God, through, since the beginning of time, even before, that his heart's desire was to reach out to you and to me that we might have a relationship with him. That we might know this mighty God. You know, the first time I ever went uh, to a planetarium, if you've ever been to a planetarium, I just remember I went in there, and I really wasn't prepared for what I was going to experience. And if you've ever been to one where you go in there, they turn all the lights off, they've got that screen that comes all the way around you, you know, and then all of a sudden they turn the lights off and they begin this, and they light up these stars in there. I just remember just being in awe of that and also kind of feeling a, a, a little bit be, uh, uh, bewildered, you know, and I, I got a little out balance and kind of felt like the, war, the room was spinning a little bit as I was taking it all in and imagining, wow, can you imagine almost like floating into space and seeing all this that God had made? Now, you know, they're, they're working on uh, getting these uh, trips where people can pay for them to go into outer space. I'm glad that they're going to do that. I have no desire whatsoever to get on one of those rockets. God made me for this earth right here, and one day he'll take me into heaven, and he'll be completely in charge. But I just remember just kind of being a, a little bit just out of sorts. 
overcome and seeing that. And I was just imagining, and in that time, I remember just imagining how magnificent God is. And what I was seeing on this screen before me was only a small, minute part of what this great creator has made. It's only one of the galaxies, the one that we uh, live in, but it's just one of the galaxies that this God, this creator, has made. And in our passage today, we see that that was one of his names. He says that he was wonderful counselor, mighty God. Pastor Jarrett set it up so well last week when he was giving us the background and the context uh, for when, when this prophecy was delivered by Isaiah. He said, if you remember that you had Israel and then eventually it became a divided kingdom and you had Israel to the north and the kingdom of Judah to the south. And the Assyrians came in, were attacking, or getting ready to attack Israel to the north and they had declined morally, spiritually, politically, every which way. They'd fought, chased after other gods and so this pagan nation, the Assyrians, were going to come in and conquer them. And they tried to get the king of Judah to join them to fight the Assyrians. And the king of Judah said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, he tried to get along with the Assyrians and bypass. And what started with the Assyrians to, to eventually uh, conquer uh, Israel and Judah would eventually be carried out by the Babylonians centuries later. But it all started, and this King Ahaz, who, uh, to, who Isaiah prophesied to, is one of the several kings that Isaiah prophesied in the southern kingdom. He told him, he said, look, look for a sign. He encouraged him to look for a sign. And in that day and time, as we saw so often with Israel, is they wouldn't completely give up God, Jehovah, Yahweh. But they would take on other gods just in case to cover maybe those areas of life that they thought maybe God wouldn't be able to handle or wouldn't have time for or whatever. So they would take on other gods in addition to Jehovah. But from the beginning, God said, I don't share my glory with another. There is no other gods before me. And Ahaz had done the same thing, even though when uh, Isaiah told him to ask for a sign, he said, no, I'm not going to test. I'm not going to put God to the test. It wasn't because he was so noble. But he was still kind of ha had a remnant of this belief in, in God, the God, the God of Israel. But we are told in 2 Second uh, Kings that he had passed his son through the fires to Moloch. He had passed his son as a sacrifice to the false gods. So he was a reprobate individual as well. Said that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But whenever he said, I'm not going to put, the God, I'm not going to put God to the test... Then Isaiah said, well, then he's going to go ahead and give you a sign whether you want it or not. And that's whenever he referred to the sign that was given to it in Isaiah 7, 14, when that behold the virgin or a young girl of marriageable age shall bear a child and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Now, scholars have differing opinions as far as what that, how that prophecy was literally fleshed out. Some say, well, you know, it was, a, it was a young girl who was a virgin at the time 
that Isaiah gave the prophecy, but then later had a child, and she was no longer a virgin. She had a child the natural way, but she was a virgin when Isaiah first mentioned it. Other uh, scholars think, well, it was a, a, a woman who was a virgin. She had a supernatural birth. It was given to a sign, but we don't, we don't see a lot uh, discussed in scriptures about that particular event. Some scholars say, well, no, it was exclusively messianic. So in other words, it was only talking about the Messiah to come, Jesus. And then some say, well, maybe it was a combination of both. There was an immediate uh, meaning of that, or there was an immediate fulfillment of that prophecy or that miracle, but then there was also had ramifications far into the future. In fact, 700 years into the future when Isaiah gave the, gave the prophecy. We really don't know what that was, but the fact is it definitely pointed to the Messiah, Jesus, who was to come. And he said that this Jesus would, or this Messiah would come and his, his kingdom would be forever. It'd be for all eternity. And when this king came, as we see here in our, in our passage or in our, our, our main text, he would bring with him, as Pastor Jarrett said yesterday, uh, last week, presents. Not his presence, but presents like gifts. He would bring presents with him. Those being hope, light, joy, and peace. This mighty God would bring hope, light, joy, and peace. So look at Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we look today at Mighty God and the light that he brings. Now, whenever that prophecy was given, the people of Israel would have looked at that and said they would have really honed in on that the government would be on his shoulders. And they were seeing him as he would be this great leader, this great conqueror, this strong, valiant person. Mighty meaning valiant or, or like a hero. And he would lead Israel out from all domination of their oppressors throughout time. But Isaiah had much more in mind in this prophecy than that. Much more than just an earthly king to rule for a season here on earth. In Isaiah 9, 7, as you go on reading, he says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Those that were only short-sighted and saw him as a valiant warrior hero, Isaiah is saying, oh, no, no, no. His kingdom will last. His reign will last forever. He is mighty God. And Moses had already told the people many times about that. They knew about this mighty God that they served. 
In fact, in Deuteronomy, when, which was called the second law, right before they were about to go into the promised land, Moses stood, and he wasn't going to be able to go into the land of promise with them because of his disobedience, which seemed kind of like a harsh penalty to pay, but nevertheless, God was not going to allow him to go in. But he was telling the people, look, when you go in here, this is what you need to remember. This is where you came from. This is who your God is. This is what you are to do, and this is what you are not to do. Do not forget the Lord. And so he was delivering the second law before they were going to go into the promised land. And this is what Moses told him in Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. You can't just sway him. He has a purpose. And what Moses clearly said, look, the God that you know, the God that you serve, the God that delivered you stands alone. There's no other gods beside him. There's no other gods like him. In fact, whenever Moses called to lead the people out of captivity in Egypt, they'd been there for 400 years. There came arose a, a pharaoh that knew not Joseph. He didn't know about all of the great things that God did in that land through the second most powerful man in the land, that being Joseph. He didn't know anything about that. All that he knew was that these Hebrews were a pain in the side. And they suppressed him. And they were in the land with many gods. Oh, goodness, the Egyptians had thousands of gods. They had many gods. And so when they were led out of captivity into freedom, God was going to form a new people, a new nation Yes, they had a history and going back and Moses was going to remind them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how he had worked through, uh, through them. But they, God was going to form a new people. And they were going to come into this land. They didn't have any established culture. They didn't really have any real history. They were going to become a nation from just a, a band of people, a whole horde of people. And so what did Moses do? Before he even delivered the, the, the law to him, he began to tell them where they came from. Why did he include Genesis in the five books that he wrote, which is considered in the Torah uh, today, the five books of Moses? Why did he begin with Genesis? Because he wanted to remind them, he wanted to build a firm foundation and remind them of why they were different and what was unique about them. They served one God when everyone around them served many gods. He was reminding them that this one God is different from every other false God. Every other God is a God of stone and wood, but you know the true God, the one true God. The Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, eventually the Greeks and the Romans, all had multiple gods. Even further into the future, when you take the Aztecs and the Mayans and all, all of these civilizations that we've known through time. Why? Because man is made to worship something. And we'll find something to worship. Either we'll worship ourselves, we'll worship humanity, or we'll worship little idols that are completely powerless and non-existent, or since God put it in our hearts, we will turn to the one true God. And isn't it wonderful that God made it simple? 
We don't have to go after all these other gods and try to figure out which one's the real one because God said, there are no other ones, I'm it. I'm the one. I'm the true God. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, one of them, is in 1 Kings 18, 29. You remember the occasion when Elijah was having a, a, a showdown with the prophets of Baal and the priests of Asherah. And they were up on Mount Carmel. And Elijah said, listen, go ahead and make two altars and pour water on it. In other words, make it impossible that there's no way that this could by chance happen. And then he said, okay, you guys go first. You call on your gods. See when, which one sends down fire to consume the altars. And the priests of Baal are jumping around and they're cutting themselves and they're doing everything they can to get the attention of Baal. And the scripture says in verse 29, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the obligation. And there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Think about the billions of people in this world that are constantly trying to get the attention of their false gods. And all the while, while they're jumping through their hoops and they're doing all the things that they've been taught that you have to do to have some sort of attention from this God that is far removed and has never said anything about wanting to make man in his own image or have a relationship with man because they're above and they're far beyond and you gotta do all of these things to get their attention. Think about the billions of people in our world today that are going through all of those motions but there's no voice, no one answers, and no one pays attention. But not so with us. Mighty God, the creator of all that we know and ever will be. Jehovah. In the first chapter of Genesis, Elohim. In the plural, but used as a unified, the God, the Godhead, a foreshadowing. The, what we call, referred to as the, the triune God or the Trinity is formulated in the New Testament, but glimpses are given to us all throughout the Old Testament. Many times whenever we see a quote-unquote Christophany is when there would be an appearance or an interaction in the second person of the Trinity, that, the one that we know as Jesus, in the Old Testament would many times come in the form of or be referred to as the angel of the Lord. He came and he, he uh, spoke with Abraham whenever Abraham was about to sa sacrifice Isaac. It was the angel of the Lord that intervened. It was the angel of the Lord that Jacob wrestled with and then he changed his name once and for all to Israel. It was the angel of the Lord that intervened. Remember, it was the angel of the Lord whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in the fiery furnace. And you remember what the king said? He comes out and he goes, wait a minute, hold on a second. Did we put three guys in there? Yeah. How come I'm seeing... Four, and one of them is like the son of God. Who was that? Emmanuel. They were thrown into the fire, but they were never alone. He was with them. And so there were all these times, that even in the Old Testament, where God is pursuing and coming to man. That is the heart of God. And even known as mighty God, he brings light of revelation to us. So as we tie this, as this 
this prophecy obviously was speaking about Messiah. Who is Messiah? Jesus. Jesus. This was the intent of God from the beginning of time. It was, it was God, in God's heart that it would follow this path and eventually culminate in the Messiah being revealed. He would be, he would be beaten. He would be rejected by men. He would be hung up on a cross. He would die. He would be buried. And on the third day, he would be raised again from the dead. We get into the, all these theological debates sometimes about replacement theology or premillennial dispensational or amillennial, all this kind of stuff and all. Well, did the church replace Israel? No. The church didn't replace Israel. We are continued. We are grafted into God's plan from the very beginning. Those that reject God are the ones that took the exit, not us. It was all God's plan. It was always found in the heart of God. So now today, as we look here, I just want to point out a couple things about as mighty God, Jesus was this, and Jesus was fulfilled this role. As mighty God first, Jesus is like no other. Jesus is like no other. Referring to God, the uniqueness of God, Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no what? Other. There's no other. There's no other. You see, that's what I appreciated so much about the boldness of what Pastor Jarrett said a couple weeks ago whenever he said, when he was specifically talking about Islam, is that it's satanically inspired. That may seem shocking to some people. You don't say that. Why? Because it's not politically correct. But it's true. How do we know that? Any religion that teaches anything that departs from the gospel of Jesus Christ is false. And it is rooted in evil. Doesn't mean you have to be a mean person to tell someone that, to stick by your convictions. You don't have to be rude to stick by your convictions. But to say, no, wait a minute. No, there is only one God. And that God is revealed through Jesus Christ to man. And so there is salvation in no other but him. And that's just the truth. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to be, try to be politically correct. Why? Because now you are being a party to perpetuating falsehood don't do that that's a lie there's one god isaiah 45 18 secondly isaiah 42 8 talking about god i am the lord that is my name my glory i give to no other nor my praise to carved idols the thing that we see and we understand and is fully fleshed out in the new testament is that there is perfect harmony and relationship and unity within the Godhead. You never see an instant, you'd never have to worry about there being jealousy between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. There is perfect unity in the Godhead. So when God says, I'm not going to share my glory to another, and then all of a sudden we see Jesus receiving glory and praise, God the Father is not bothered by that at all. Is why? Because it is him that is also receiving the praise. You remember the story of when Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus, after the resurrection, and Jesus revealed himself to the other disciples. He wasn't there. The disciples told him about it. He said, I'm not going to believe that. 
I'm sorry, that's just too far beyond me. I'm not going to believe it. I won't believe it until I put my fingers in the wound in his side and in the nail prints in his hands. Eight days later, Jesus shows up. He says, Thomas, come and see. And according to the scripture, it, said, it seems like Thomas didn't even have to do that. He fell on his face, fell on his knees. He said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus never corrected him. First John, I mean, John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am mighty God. I am like no other. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 24. The apostle Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The wording there, whenever he says that basically God empowered him as a testimony of himself. As mighty God, Jesus is creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1, chapter uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16, Paul said, he, talking about the Son, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For him. The scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. In Matthew 28, Jesus even said of himself in what we call the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. All authority has been given to me. As mighty God, Jesus is the light of the world. And this is where we get this light. The thing about the characteristics about God these are not just things that he does it is his essence it is who he is God doesn't just love God is love God doesn't just give light he is light Isaiah 9 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has shown the light. Folks, if there's ever a time we are living in the days that are described in Scripture when it says that in the latter days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. We have seen it literally in the last few weeks. Something that is not even arguable is absolutely evil to the core. And yet our media and millions of people around the world say, no, 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 that's good. This is evil. We have to continue, so even in our day and time, we are the ambassadors to continue to keep before our world that there, this mighty God, he is the light of the world. And if you do not turn to this God, if you do not turn to mighty God, you walk in darkness. And every day people are choosing darkness over light. And oh, they think they're so wise. They think they're so wise. But even Romans tells us that 
they, thought they became wise. They became so wise that they became fools. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. The very first thing he created, he said, let there be light. 1 John 1-5, John said, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John 1, verses 4 through 5, and also verse 9. In him was life, and the life was the light of, the, of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. We know that God is the Word. Jesus was the Word. We're told in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word, but not only that, He gives light. So He is light, but He also gives light through His written Word, His revealed Word. The Word of God, the Scriptures that we refer to. We, we understand what it says, that uh, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, and what? A light unto my path. It gives it lights up the path in front of you. It helps you to avoid pitfalls. It helps you to avoid, avoid dangers. It helps you to uh, uh, avoid uh, hindrances. We know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night, think we can make it to the restroom without a light, and we run our toes right in between that bedpost or whatever. That is a, a spiritual experience, isn't it? If only we just picked up our phone on the nightstand and just used that little light, it would have made all the difference in the world. So it is with God's word. That if we try to walk this life without his word and his light, we walk without understanding. We walk without clarity because he brings light. Listen to this. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Don't need any lights in heaven. It's already lit up by God. And then John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light for life, or the light of life. As mighty God, Jesus has all power and authority. I've already brought your attention to Matthew chapter 28. But listen to the words of King David when he prayed, when he was not going to be permitted by God to build the temple, but he had such a love for God. And even though he was a flawed, flawed man, he rejoiced in the day that this, whenever the temple was built, would be a permanent dwelling place for the one true God, the mighty God. And this is what he said, whenever the people had been so generous with bringing their offerings and their support, listen to what David said. In Chronicles 21, 29, 11, 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Head above all. And Peter, whenever he also referenced this mighty God, obviously referring to Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, or you could say endorsed by God, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God do, did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He was like no other. Had all authority. And finally, as mighty God, Jesus brings salvation. From the very beginning, God desired to bring salvation to man. We were never made to walk alone. God always provided for when we would sin that there could be forgiveness for sin so that that relationship could be rec uh, restored and reconciled. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, even Isaiah had this sense of this loving, this mighty, this powerful God that still desired a relationship with him and where all of his hope and all of his dreams could, could rest in him and could be found in him. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He's my salvation. The God that made everything that I know or ever will know. The God made everything that my eyes will see. The, the God that made everything that my mind can conceive of and understand. He is my salvation. He is my hope. As it said back here in the beginning, the full presence that he brings to us. He is our hope. He is our light. He's our joy. And he's our peace. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Not by works, not by good intentions, not by being good enough. There is no other name. It is only Jesus. And then finally, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Mighty God so loved the world. Wonderful counselor so loved the world. Everlasting Father, so loved the world. The Prince of Peace, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whenever we read and study God's word and we worship the Lord, there's always a response. 
either we'll walk out of here and say, well, you know, those are some pretty good scriptures. I'll have to make note of those. I'll have to go back and watch those and write those down. That would be great for my neighbor one day. Or I need to tell my aunt and uncle about those. And it not sink deep into our own hearts. To be amazed by God. Amazing grace. To be truly amazed by mighty God. That he would want a relationship with you and with me. And not only that, he doesn't just stand aloof. He doesn't stand afar and just say, come on, come to me. Try to get to me. Try to be good enough. Make sure you observe all the rules. And just maybe, 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 I'll give you a little bit of my time. No. We're reminded again in Revelation when he's talking, it's not a salvation verse. It's a relationship, a restoration verse when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever will open that, I will come in and have a meal with him. That God is always pursuing you and me. It's amazing. So I pray in our response. We're going to sing here in just a minute. We're going to stand up together. We're going to worship some more before we end this time in here as the, as the worship team comes back up here. We're going to have our ministers that are going to be here at the front. I know it's a little bit sandwiched in here, but they're going to be here at the front. Three things. Three things. Number one, if God has spoken to you today through the Holy Spirit and said, you know what, you might know a lot about God, but you don't know God. Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because there is salvation in no other. Today is the day to act upon it. You might say, well, I might do it later. Okay, well, I'll ask you this question. How long are you going to live? You really need to be able to answer that question so that you can go right up to that final day and make that all-important decision. But if you don't know when that is, then today is the day of salvation, friend. Today is the day to settle it once and for all and make your peace with this mighty God who loves you and gave his life for you. Secondly, maybe you just want to pray with someone. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship right now with Christ. Maybe you're struggling in your walk with Christ and you just want to pray with somebody. Maybe you have something in your life right now uh, that is troubling you. And you're weighed down with this burden. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So don't carry it out with you if you came in with it today. Come and just pray with someone. Come take the hand. We know that this is a, a challenging time of year. Maybe there's going to be one less setting at the table this year. Maybe you've lost someone that you love. And you're struggling with all the emotions that this time of year, which is supposed to be represented by joy and happiness and laughter and awe, and you're just not feeling it. And you would say like that man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Then maybe just come and take the hand of someone and pray with them. Thirdly, maybe you said, you know what? I saw a great example of those who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All at different stages of life, if you notice that. But the common denominator is that they had all placed their faith in Christ. They turned from darkness to light. And their baptism was a testimony saying, I am now identified with mighty God. I am now identified with the living God, 
Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to follow through with that, and that's what you want to act on. Whatever God is putting on your heart to act on, this is the time, this is the day, do it. Let's stand together. All right. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.